You're listening to the Boots About Business podcast. We share stories from military veterans that have transitioned to the world of business. On the show, you'll hear conversations with business leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs that all started their careers wearing boots in the service of the U.S. Armed Forces. This podcast is equal parts about sharing great stories, helping veterans, helping businesses, and fostering a greater understanding of the value veterans can bring to business. And welcome, everybody, to episode number 12 of the Boots About Business podcast. I am your host, Frank Strong, and here with us today is Ruthie Bowles. She is the owner of Defy the Status Quo. That's a content marketing agency in Maryland. She spent eight years in the Army working in intelligence and then went to work for a contractor doing much the same thing. So today she's self-employed, not exactly a common route to self-employment. That's what I think is so interesting about her story, and we're going to get into that on today's show. Welcome to the show, ma'am. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So I always get right down to business, and kind of the uniting theme of the show is we all wore uniform in some way, shape, or form. You joined the Army. What inspired you to join the Army? Well, I was on track to go to college but I somehow got roped into taking an ASVAB at my high school and I scored really well and then became a target for all of the recruiters in my area. <laughs> I was going to college. I was going to study uh, uh, area studies for, I hadn't decided which language yet, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to learn a language and travel. And so the Navy recruiter and the Marine recruiter, I told them I definitely wasn't doing that because they chopped off your hair at boot camp. And at the time, my hair was down to my hips. So that was like a non-starter. And then I had a brother, an older brother, who was already in the Air Force. So I was like, well, I don't want to join the Air Force because he's already in the Air Force. So it was the Army guy. And he was smart enough to mention that they have language-dependent military occupational specialties. And that, hey, instead of spending four years in college, you could spend a year at our language school in California and we will pay you plus all of the other benefits. And I was like, hmm, that does sound pretty good. Doesn't hurt that that school's in Monterey, California either. It doesn't. I was graduating high school from Pennsylvania, but I'm actually from California. So it was very tantalizing to have the opportunity to go back. And so, you know, language, obviously, you went to work into MI, language is a component there. Was there anything else that motivated you to go into the intelligence community? I wouldn't say so much specifically because I, I really wanted to do language. And so that happened to be attached to intelligence. But once I had, I had discussed it with my grandfather, my father's dad, and he's a Navy veteran. And so when I was like, oh, well, the Army recruiter was mentioning language and it was like military intelligence or something like mm -hmm. that because I was just in high school so I was like I don't know what any of this stuff means but my grandfather told me that it was a really good move and he encouraged me in that direction so I felt pretty confident he retired after like 30 years I think in the navy mm -hmm. awesome and then where did you go in the army did you go any place any, any all expenses trade paid uh, travel overseas Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> I had a 12-month trip to Afghanistan, although trip, you know, trip is a loose term. Yeah. But yes, I was in Afghanistan for 12 months. We were on the eastern side of Afghanistan, bordering Pakistan. So not the, the worst 
area since at the time that I was there in 2010 to 2011, the worst area was in the South still, Mm -hmm. but the East got, you know, had a decent amount of activity. Whereas looking at the West or the North, it was, it was pretty slow in those areas. It was definitely a culture shock. Yeah. And probably some, uh, some things you didn't get in the South would be diplomatic and geopolitical, you know, ramifications of everything going on, you know, on a border like that, an international border. What was your worst day in uniform? Mm. I would say that my worst day in uniform was the day that I found out that the airmen who assaulted me during my my advanced individual training, my AIT, had gotten a letter of reprimand from the Air Force. And nobody had told me, so I actually went to the JAG office on the Air Force base I was at because it's like joint service training. Mm -hmm. And the JAG officer was super uncomfortable because she was the one who had traveled out to California to gather my statement after CID had accidentally destroyed all of my evidence, including a taped confession. And they had told me once I got there that it had turned into my word versus his word. And then me being in the army and him being in the Air Force, it was under Air Force jurisdiction. And they had decided to give him a letter of reprimand. And that was it. That is unbelievable. Yeah, I felt like... Really, like it was just like kind of this snowball downhill where like like CID had put my evidence in a box next to a faulty air conditioning unit or something and everything in that box got destroyed. So they had to come and talk to me again, but they couldn't regather the, you know, the confession or anything. But they also didn't get sworn statements from the CID officer who heard it because it was over phone and then the sharp professional who was also there who also heard it because it was on speaker. So they didn't get sworn statements or anything. And they turned it into a me versus him. And I lost. And I just, I felt really betrayed that day. Mm -hmm. And then I had to go to training. So yeah, of course, because you spill your emotions, your guts, and then all of that falls through really through mismanagement. We didn't talk about this beforehand. So I didn't know that was your answer. But since we're here, I'd like to ask you, you know, sexual harassment, assault, it's a big issue in the military. It comes up over and over. I've been in a unit where, and I think this happens to every army unit, we get, you know, something happens, an incident happens, someone with stars on their shoulder or on their collar gets called before Congress, they have a bunch of hearings, and then we run in and we have eight hours of training, right? And it's eight hours of somebody talking to you about this is bad. And we did this over and over and over. And I don't think it made a difference. What in your, in retrospect, what do you think the military should do to solve this problem? What can we do to kind of get ahead of it, to prevent this stuff from happening? I think largely it does tie into the culture. And this was something that once I became a non-commissioned officer, I tried really hard to at least change for my soldiers by the way that I talked to them about it. I hadn't yet reached a point where I could be frank about my own experiences, Mm -hmm. but I was very frank with them about, you know, things like making sure that, you know, your battle buddies don't run off with somebody new after everybody's been drinking, you know, Mm -hmm. and just kind of putting things like that into perspective for them. But the other side, I think, is... It starts early. It starts with the acceptance of of jokes that like make people uncomfortable and and everybody around it, right, accepts 
the jokes when those jokes are made. And anybody who stands up against it is being a snowflake or they're being sensitive or that's just the way that things are in this unit. And so like my first duty station was an infantry base. I was at Fort Campbell with the 101st. And oh my goodness, like uh, I can honestly say that I I heard things. There's no way I would have said, oh guys, that's that's offensive. Don't because I would have been labeled as the yeah. special snowflake. Not that we were using those words yet, <laughs> but I think it really does start there because I think the way that we kind of set up culture now and how it was set up even then is it does a disservice, not just to the women in a unit, but it does a disservice to the men as well because it projects that what they can't control themselves or it's just, you know, it's just talk. And and it really does start at that level, I think, to make sure that everybody understands the standard and everybody knows that certain things just aren't tolerated. If jokes aren't tolerated, then nothing else is tolerated for sure. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I think there's a lot to, I think words matter. And when you let those little things go by, it just, and it happens over and over, it seeps into the culture and yeah. shapes the culture. Like this is acceptable. It becomes a macho thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as, as the military has become more integrated, you know, women are now fighter pilots. There's a couple that went to ranger school. We talked a little bit about this before the show. Yeah. Who knows what else is coming if, you know, the, the special ops community opens up or infantry or some of the traditional combat arms roles that haven't been open as they become open. Like this is going to be important because you need those people on your on your team. You need to be able to rely on them. And nobody nobody wants to give their best effort on a team where they're made to feel, you know, a level below everyone else. Absolutely. I don't know if that's certainly not eloquently stated, but hopefully the the message is there. So I really appreciate you sharing that. I think it's important. There's probably a lot of other folks that, that go through that and um, they need to hear it to know that they're not alone. I always ask the opposite question of that because there are definitely good days in the service. You know, we all have days that are bad. Some of us have days that are worse than others, but what was your best day? My best day actually ended up tying to my worst day, but it was after, so I was a, I was a staff sergeant at the time and I had a squad of male soldiers on a joint service base in Georgia, but we had just gotten a new female soldier. She was a PFC and she was fresh out of analyst training in Texas And it was, it was nice to have somebody else, you know, to kind of mentor in that way. Like, Hey, we're both, you know, female soldiers. She started getting harassed by a Navy NCO in the building. And it was a process of course, but my best day was when I found out that he had gotten kicked out of the building. He had lost his position that he was supposed to get once he had gotten out of the Navy in that very, he was going to be working in the very same shop, but as a federal contractor. So he would have still been in her space, but they kicked him out. The Navy pulled him from that mission. So he was working admin, you know, completely on Navy stuff away from her while they, you know, took care of him on their end. But it was my best day because my inclination was to tell her just to, you know, deal with it, suck it up because nobody was going to listen because that had been my experience. Like I did everything I was supposed to do and it didn't work. It did not work. But then I thought, you know, but, but what if there was somebody there who made sure it worked? And that was like a mental shift for me. So I was like, you know what? I don't care. Like I will write senators. I will write Congress people. I'll write the president. I'll write everybody. I will show up places where they don't want me to show up, but I will make sure that her story is heard and we will make sure that this gets through. 
And it was almost like I manifested it because instead of me having to sit outside first sergeant and, you know, commander's offices, making sure that my soldier's story was heard, everybody did what they were supposed to do. And it just went perfectly up the chain of command on all the possible ends. And he was just like, okay, they did their investigation, determined that he was in fact harassing her and he was out and that Mm -hmm. was it. And it was, but I had already decided, I was like, even if nothing else, I was like, I will follow him out into the parking lot and make sure he never bothers her again. But, but it actually worked the way that it was supposed to. And it, it hinged on my confidence in not just her, but also in me. So it ended up being really, I felt like I really made a difference that day. And your, your chain of command was in that case was receptive and open and did their job. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of discussion about taking some of that authority away from, you know, the unit level leaders. I I don't think that's the right answer, but those leaders certainly have a responsibility and uh, you know, they, they need to make sure that those processes work. And if they don't, they're out like no exceptions, zero tolerance Yeah. comes down to a unit level leader. Well, that's awesome. So complete turnaround. What do you think the service taught you when you think back on eight years, almost a decade in in uniform? What did you learn? I learned that I like, and it it sounds almost trite, but I, I really learned that I could do anything I set my mind to. While I served, I'd had a deployment but I also got my personal trainer certificate. I did like six bodybuilding shows. I ran two half marathons. Not only did I, I mean, it was a lot of hard work, but I achieved like 90% across the board on my PT test. And then I also hit a point where I made sure I always at least passed the male version of the PT test since I had male soldiers. And those were things that if you had asked 18-year-old me who just graduated high school, like there's no way that she would have been like, oh yeah, totally, I'm gonna come third in a, you know, battalion pull-up contest. Like that, that wasn't me. And I learned that I, I really could do anything, anything I wanted. And that actually directly ties to, you know, me having the confidence to go self-employed. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then, so that's, you know, you bring up self-employment. That brings us to the transition of how and why did you leave the service? Oh, uh, I left the service because... My husband and I had planned on being geographically separated so he could get work involving his security clearance in Maryland. I was stationed in Texas at the time, and we had two of our children at that point. A week before he left, I found out I was pregnant, (laughs) and that was not the plan. And I, I did some math, and I was like, ooh, I'd be here for another nine months after this baby was born before I could even request a change of station, which I would have been due for to go to Maryland. And I had never been to Maryland before. And I was Mm -hmm. also due to re-enlist. I was planning on doing 20 years. I wanted to be like the first, you know, female Sergeant Major of the Army. Like I was, I was in it. And so, yeah, I just realized that I wasn't going to be able to do it there in Texas, especially because I had no family with two toddlers and a A newborn. So, It was just the way life circumstances happened. And so I ended up getting a separate, a family chapter separation voluntary. Mm -hmm. Okay. What was your plan for like work? What did you think you were going to do? I was a stay at home mom for a while that I didn't really have a plan since I, I was all of a sudden getting out. And up until that point, up until that positive test, I was going to be in the army. 
for mm-hmm. a long time until they kicked me out, probably for good or for bad. The army was just, it felt like it was in my DNA at the time. And I wanted to stay in and fix all the things I could fix and, and make everything right that I could. So I didn't really have a plan. So I was actually a stay at home mom for probably about 10 months or so. And then we decided to buy a house in Maryland. So I went to work as a federal contractor doing basically the same job. Yeah. And obviously you had the creds, security credentials for people that don't know Maryland is there's just a wealth of opportunities and government and contracting for that line of work. And so the contracting role was that something that interested you? Did, like, how did you get into that? They did they contact you? Did you reach out to them? How did that oh, work? I, I reached out to them because uh, because it was involving language. Uh, they almost always have a need for my language, which at the time was Persian Farsi. So they also almost always have a need, and they were paying more than the government was offering. And since our goal was to save up to buy a house, that's why I went contractor mm-hmm. side. But yeah, I, I reached out to them, gave them my resume, and I was basically, I think. From start to finish, it took like four months, maybe. And I was good. I was in. Yep. Okay. And then uh, you did that for a long time. No, no. Just a year and a half, almost two years from start to finish. It turned out that I actually really liked the Army side of my job. Amongst the military intel folks, it's a common like refrain that will say, oh, if I could just do my job in the Navy, Air Force, Army didn't always pull me away for all this extra training, I'd get so much done. Well, I became a contractor and finally had the opportunity to just do my job. And it turns out it was boring kind of a little bit without the stuff that it turns out I really liked, which was like the mentorship and the training that, you know, the soldiers, the professional development and, you know, being involved in something bigger. And then they also told me I had no possibilities for upward growth, which was definitely a problem for me. I am an upward growth type of woman. And they told me I didn't have any. So that was a huge problem. Yeah, that's a good way to see people to the door pretty quickly, especially yeah. in, a, you know, a skill like you have, because, you, you know, it's not like you can just teach somebody Farsi overnight. It takes a while to, to get there. Yeah. And I enjoyed that part. I was good at it, but I just, I craved more and they weren't going to give it to me. You're going to get some phone calls after this podcast. I'm sure of it. (laughs) It's coming. (laughs) So what got you interested into writing and content marketing, right? And I really want to get into the idea. I say idea in quotes because you didn't have experience in Mm -hmm. writing or content marketing, at least as the commercial world would see it. So how did that come about? Well, I've always loved to read. And so that was kind of the initial thing there. I've always loved to read. But I got into writing because while I was serving in the military, I had to write plenty of reports and I had to write plenty of translations. And I I don't know how familiar everybody is with the process of translation, but I always held myself and my, I mean, they was mixed service, but all of the people on my team to a higher standard, like it needed to read well in English. So that meant doing more of a conceptual translation. Like, yes, this is what's here, but let's make it make sense in English. We need to make sure anybody who doesn't know this language who reads this can make complete sense of mm-hmm. it. So I got really good at writing because of that, was translating, but then also writing reports and doing, you know, we did a lot of intelligence summaries and coalescing data from various sources, very disparate sources sometimes. 
And especially once I got to Georgia, uh, we didn't really have, I mean, we had some like all source intelligence analysts, but yeah, you know, I ended up doing a lot of that work myself, bringing together, you know, information from the different sources. So um, I learned how to write really well and analyze and dig deep into data and information because of those skills that I got in the military. And so it initially started out as just me freelance writing for a few companies on the side, and then it evolved into offering things like content marketing, strategy development, and you know making those bigger pieces of content that did almost the same thing, take information and data and statistics and things from different sources and bringing those together to create a really compelling piece of content that my clients could then use in their marketing strategies to promote and get leads and establish themselves as authorities. So it was a journey of development for myself as well, because I had to see myself in that role, which I didn't initially, but I knew I was good at writing and I enjoyed it a lot. And that was where I started from. It was kind of ties back to the whole, I can do anything you know, if I put my mind to it. And that was what I decided to put my mind to. And and those were the skills I, I brought to bear on that. And over time, a short amount of time, even I learned the value of those other skills, even though they weren't traditional marketing skills. I don't have a degree in marketing. Uh, and like you pointed out, I didn't have any marketing experience per se, but uh, a lot of those military skills translated really well. I love that story because there are a gazillion articles on the internet about how to translate your military skills into, you know, civilian credentials. And, you know, just as a team leader, commander, battalion three, I was a consumer of a lot of the products people like you would produce. And, you know, when I think about marketing, I've done marketing my whole career, right? So I was a guard guy, so I had dual, dual careers. Mm-hmm. When you think about like audience identification, right? Fundamental to marketing fundamental to writing it in some, you've got to know who you're writing for the structure, right? Top down method, inverted, you know, pyramid, if you will, the bottom line up front and then supporting yes. point, proofing, exactly. brevity, deadline, all, you know, those are all skills that you had equally applicable to marketing, but never put in those terms, so to speak. I think that that's like one of the big points that this podcast is trying to get across is all of these things that you learn in uniform and people hit some of the high level ones like leadership and training and all that stuff. But there's a lot of things soldiers do today that are applicable. I'm going off on a rant here. I don't mean to do that, but you think about <laughs> the equipment that like an infantry guy has, you know, optics, radio, there's cryptology, you know, involved there, right? They get to load the fills and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Frequency hops, ciphertext, all that. I mean, it's not easy. I mean, you can't just, it's not just, you know, running with a rifle and and point and shoot anymore. All right. So you start to get into this writing. Like, how did you make that transition? You didn't just go cold turkey, right? You kind of did it as a side hustle for a while while you're working at your, as a contractor. Yes. Yes, I did. And then I kind of had my timeline decided for me. So I went back to work after having my third child and then we bought our house and I found out I was pregnant six weeks after we bought that house. Again, complete surprise. And when I say complete surprise, you know how they say everything is 99% effective? Yeah. I've been in the 1% like three times. So yeah, I was going to say, cause this is number four. You kind of know how this works now. I know. <laughs> I feel like when people like really Ruthie, it's a surprise again. I'm like, yes, yes, it was. But yeah, so I found out I was pregnant with my, my daughter. So I have three boys and, and one girl. 
I found out I was pregnant with my daughter six weeks after we buy this house with the perfect number of rooms rooms for, you know, two parents and three kids. So now we got four kids. And I thought, okay, what if I went on my maternity leave and just didn't come back? And so that is basically what I did. I worked, I had it as a side hustle. I was like, okay, let's look at the different changes in my, my marketing, my positioning I'd have to make to get the sorts of clients who would allow me to afford to run my business full time. And so I did a lot of research and I just consumed a ton of business content. And as a result, I actually ended up working, I work primarily with consultants who work with other businesses. So like supply chain, change management, management consultants and things like that. Partly because it turns out I actually really like that sort of content. So I like reading it. I like creating it. And so by March of 2018, I had probably about as much work as I could handle on a part-time basis. What? And then of course I was also like eight months pregnant. And then my daughter was born in April. And so I was like, okay, I'll take two weeks. Um, my prior pregnancies and deliveries had been comparatively easy, no complications. Mm-hmm. And so I was expecting this, you know, this, this one to go just as well. And it did. So I took about two weeks off after she was born. And then I went right back into working with my current clients, prospecting for new clients. I have one client that I got in the month of March who didn't even know I had had a baby until she was like three months old. Because they had gone on vacation during my like two weeks of, oh, I'm not really going to do anything after she was born. And then they heard me say I had four children. And the CEO said, no, you've got three. And I was like, (laughs) so... That's kind of how the plan went. And so once after she was born, I ramped up to a full-time client load and haven't looked back. So it's, I mean, it's one thing to have a side hustle, earn a little extra money, do some writing, ghostwriting, whatever. It's a whole different thing to leave. Recognizing you've already described it as a dead-end job. There's no other upward growth, but it's a paycheck and it's a steady paycheck. Mm -hmm. And it's one that's not going to- job very yeah. comfortable like the the salary was was great salary benefits were good so it was a comfortable job but mm-hmm. it, I mean, for me I'm, I'm not looking for comfortable necessarily yeah but at the same point children house mortgage all that stuff now you're going to start your own business in a space where by your own admission didn't have a lot of experience in what was the scariest thing about going into business for yourself mm. I think And this is something I think that even if you're not a a veteran, even as an employee, right, if you've always been an employee, even if you get promoted and and you're a high level executive, if you've never owned a business, then you don't know what it feels like to actually set your own business goals and to have to work to achieve them as a, a soldier. Even when I was a staff sergeant, I always had orders from up higher and yes, I could execute those orders within, you know, certain left or right boundaries. Mm-hmm. I could execute those orders the way that I wanted to get to accomplish the mission. But somebody else came up with those goals and those ideas as to into what it was I had to do. And I think it was about a month or two after I had officially quit my job where I realized that I was the person who had to come up with all of that stuff. It was scary, but it was also very thrilling. Because I realized up until that point, all of the years before that, even, you know, as a child in school, they tell you you're supposed to get A's and these are the grades and these are the classes. They tell you when to show up. And as your own 
employer, as a, as your uh, as a business owner, you don't have to show up. Yes, your business could fail, but you still don't have to show up. You know, everything could fall apart around you, but that would 100% be on you. So there's a certain amount of control and freedom, flip sides of the same coin, but there's also a very serious amount of responsibility. And I think that was the day where I woke up and I was like, wow, I've never had to really set these goals and achieve these goals on my own before. Mm-hmm. And you're uh, you're consulting business. You're solo, right? Are you solo? Or you have employees? Yes, I, I work. I don't have any employees. I have different, you know, team members that I tap based on the projects that we take on. But yeah, right now it's it's solo, and that's probably the way it's going to be for the foreseeable future, especially with the current environment right now. <laughs> yeah, it's very for unstable. Sure. Yeah, not not a knock at all. I'm just establishing that you know you are self-employed and it's mm-hmm. it's not something i think about that i think veterans think a lot about when they're coming out of the service other than like franchises that sort of thing i think there's a lot of interest in there particularly among retirees but you know self-employment scary you went into a space you didn't have a lot of experience but it's entirely possible you're proof of that you can sort of be the master of your own destiny if you will i guess i would the other thing i like is i compare and contrast that with going into you know, the contractor world, because we see that happen all the time. Someone leaves, you know, on a Friday evening in uniform and Monday morning, they're back in a suit and tie, right? Yep. Yep. Particularly the EAT nines, right? That happens Mm -hmm. all the time. But the self-employment, it's an option. You don't have to go that route if you don't want to. It's not, not to knock it. That's a good career. You're still doing service for the country. I'm not taking anything away from that. Those people do important jobs and we need them, but there is an an opportunity to do something different. So what advice would you have for veterans getting out of the service and just kind of thinking about starting a business? Hmm. I, I think probably the one of the biggest things is to just keep in mind that you've got, you've got two roles. Well, you play all the roles if it's your business, but you have two major roles and they fall, and then those sub roles fall into different categories, but you have two main roles. You have the role of the actual actor in your business. So in my case, it's content marketing and that involves a lot of writing, analysis and things like that. So I have to do all of those things. But on the other side, I am a business owner and that is a whole different set of work. Mm -hmm. And the best way I can tie it to my military service is as an intelligence professional, I had my job where I worked with the civilians and the other service members, but I also had my army stuff. Right. Did you do all of your army stuff today? And as an entrepreneur, as a self-employed person, you kind of have to ask yourself that question. Did I do all of my business owner stuff today? If you do not handle your business owner stuff, it's not going to matter how good you are at whatever it is that your business is set up around, because without the business owner stuff, there is no business. Yeah. You have to work both in the business and on it. You have to make sure you have time for both. Perfect. All right. Anything that you'd add? Anything that we um, didn't talk about today? I guess just in general about the transition, it's hard when you get out. It was, wasn't was as hard when I got out and then I became a federal contractor because I felt like I was still a part of it. Being an entrepreneur completely out into the civilian world, it's it's a tough thing. And I I just would say, make sure you've got somebody or find somebody to talk to about it. Even so, I, I got out in 2015. So it's been five years almost because it was November. And I still struggle with what I feel are like gaps in my identity because being a soldier was just so much yeah. to me. 
So I think, and especially, you know, you stay, the longer you stay in, the more I think that that becomes true. So being an entrepreneur fulfills a lot in me that being a soldier kind of set the foundation for, but it's still something, you know, that I'm working on kind of reconciling those parts of my identity. Yeah, I can definitely appreciate that. I, there's a fella I hope to have on at some point. He's got a great, he's got a great little saying. He says, uh, you know, I make a better veteran than I ever was a soldier. So be a better veteran. And that's kind of his way of reconciling the, the gap loss when you're not in uniform anymore, if you will. So yeah. it definitely, it kind of feels like, um, what do you call it? Phantom syndrome. Like when you have a, a limb that's removed and, but it feels like it's still there. That's the way the military yes. feels. Yes. You can't ever get away from it. If someone um, wants to take you up on your advice and has some questions for you, and we'll put these in the show notes, we'll put some links in the show notes, bootsaboutbusiness.com, where can people find you? So I love LinkedIn. I am a huge LinkedIn fan. So if you look me up, Ruthie Bowles on LinkedIn, that's like a really easy way to find me. And if you just let me know that this, you know, the Boots Business Podcast is where you found me, then I'll add you for sure. Although if I see that you're a veteran, I usually add you anyway. My website is defythestatusquo.com. If, you know, you're looking at any sort of content marketing, you want to see how I've done it a bit, you know, that would be the place to find it. And I would say those are probably the top two places. Yeah, awesome. Ruthie, thank you so much for your service. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing, you know, very personal experiences. I'm certain will help people. It's interesting to hear what you've done. And, uh, you know, ultimately I've got a lot of respect for somebody with the guts and determination to be self-employed. So congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Boots About Business podcast. Please know you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you catch your podcasts. And while you are there, won't you leave us a nice review? It'll help the show and in turn help other veterans. Finally, if you know someone that's a veteran in business or is an entrepreneur with a story to share, hit us up using the contact form on the show's website. That's bootsaboutbusiness.com. That's all one word, bootsaboutbusiness.com. Until next time, I am your host, Frank Strong, out here.